And here we are, another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. I am Zachary Small, and today I'm joined by Deeper Thrill. You know, it's not often, and I can't even think of a previous guest who came on using their handle for social media, you know, a non-accounts, if you will. But I had Deeper Thrill on. He's a man that I've been going back and forth with for years now. You know, and the insights he's dropped, once I got to better know him, you know, behind the curtains, the, the sneak peek, what's behind that, that username, I found a man who's doing so much more with his life than I ever knew. And he was cool before I knew these things. So as you listen to this, understand it is an A non-account, but maybe some of those preconceived notions as to what having an anonymous account means and the man or woman behind them, you know, what they have or have not accomplished, maybe our notion as to who they are is incorrect. And we need to step back and listen and, and judge the merit of the character of the individual as opposed to whether or not they're using their real name. And again, we got to talk about today's sponsor. The sponsor of this podcast is PeacefulFathers.com, run by Anthony Migliorino, a father of two girls, one boy, and a man who has made it a mission to help bring peace and unity to families in a world of chaos, violence, and isolation. People are split, divided, looking for reasons to not get along. Anthony at PeacefulFathers.com is sharing with how as a father and as a man, a husband, you can go out there, you can connect, you can build healthy relationships, and it doesn't have to happen the way it did in the past. Back in the day, you know, spankings were normal, using a belt was normal, getting a switch, all that was normal. And then we moved to where there was a lot of yelling, a lot of frustrations, a lot of screaming and slamming. None of that is necessary. None of that has a place in a healthy family. So as we go forward and as we look to improve ourselves as men, understand it is our duty to improve our relationship with our wives and our children as well. And if you're divorced, it falls to you equally so. It doesn't matter if you have a wife or not. It doesn't matter you know, what situation or relationship status you claim. All that matters is if you have children or if you're looking to have children, you need to maximize and be present in those lives because you could make or break the trajectory that they're going to be on for the rest of their days. Save your child preventable pain. Save them therapy. Save them years of trying to figure out who they are and why mom or dad didn't like them or how they don't know how to process their own emotions by squaring yourself away and creating a peaceful home. And if you don't know how to do that, go to PeacefulFathers.com. With that, let's dive into discussion on artificial intelligence, the key book club, and who Deeper Thrill really is. Welcome to the Family Alpha Podcast, a place where men, families, and the truth have a voice. The information shared on this podcast is meant to be applied. Now, here's your host, Zach Small, founder of thefamilyalpha.com and co-founder of thefraternityofexcellence.com. Let's get to work. Welcome back to another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zachary Small, and today I have a special guest. Today I'm joined by Deeper Thrill. That is a username. That is a handle. Normally when we have men come on here, you know, it's here's this guy. Here's a man, though, I crossed paths with on Twitter. I think it was years ago, you know, and we, we hit it off. We were exchanging ideas. And as time went on, month by month by month, you see certain people fall off. Well, Deeper Thrill didn't. Neither did I. We kept on talking. We kept on exchanging ideas, you know, and I got to know him better. He got to know me better. And again, as we continued going forward, we were learning about ourselves we were exchanging ideas with the other men as the movement went forward. And to get to the point where I could have him on the podcast and hear more about him, it's like Twitter was just scratching the surface as to who this man was. He has his PhD. He, he is 
well established in the artificial intelligence uh, community, if you will, when it comes to medical research and medical uses. He runs a book club to help those with busy lives get the main takeaways from these books of these nonfiction works without having to dive in and spend hours themselves reading it. And most importantly, from my angle, maybe not his, but at least from my eyes looking at it, he is an authentic voice. And when you're an account that's quote unquote, anon, that's a very hard thing to do and to establish and to prove, yet he's done it. So with that, and I'm a deeper thrill, I'm just going to call you by the handle, you know, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, that was a pretty succinct uh, description of me in terms of you know my career. I, I do two main things. I have um, a business where we work on um, custom medical AI systems to help diagnose treat cancer. Um, that's sort of what my professional background has been. And as a um, second business, I also own Key Book Club. It's kibookclub.com. And we have a, a web and mobile app where we provide book summaries for a special type of person. I think it's like the type of person who is interested in expanding their mind, but doesn't want to waste time reading books that they're not interested in. And so we sort of curate this list for them and create this. Uh, we have this whole team of people around me, maybe 10 people, 12 people right now who create these book summaries for our app. So those are the two main things I do in my life. And regard to authenticity i think you know the fact that i have one foot in the professional world and one foot in the social media world has helped me regain a bit of balance from either either end of that that's helped me remain authentic i think well that's excellent and like i said we've been doing this for so long that i thought i knew you very well i was like all right i know this guy i kind of <laughs> know where he's coming from and then you know i got to see behind the curtain and you're the way cooler wizard you know all the things that people are seeing on twitter <laughs> there's so much more behind the scenes so i don't even know how to adequately capture the, the artificial intelligence and its uses with medical side of the house. You know, I'm not versed in that at all. How does that work? Are you saying that you're using the computers to aid you in, in uh, treatment, in uh, identifying issues? How, how does yeah, that so, work? And how did you even get into that field? Um, I got into that field because when I went to engineering college, when I was fresh out of high school, 18 years old, um, I was trying to decide what type of engineering to do, and I was always good at the computer stuff, and it was like, do I do computer engineering? I was kind of good at physics, too. Do I do physics? But then when I found, uh, you know, biomedical engineering, um, that kind of was like, hey, I can do the cool computer stuff, but, like, make cool robot nurses, too, or surgeons. Like, there's there's a helping patient aspect to that, and so um, I kind of just stuck with that. I started publishing papers and patents. I was 19 years old on it and I just continued throughout my PhD. I did that in three years, which was um, one of the shortest times to do that sort of um, degree, which usually takes five. But then, you know, if you ask what it is, it's like, if, if I showed you a thousand MRI images of a prostate with cancer, and then a thousand MRI images of a prostate without cancer, and you spent an hour just staring at those, your brain would be able to figure out, like, if you saw a new image, you'd get a sense of whether there was a blob in the image, a little dark spot. Like, our brains are very good at that. And all what we're doing with AI is doing the same thing, but basically, like, feeding the computer thousands of images of prostate, MRI images with cancer, thousand images without. And then we train a system that could be run. Now, that could be used for screening, where you're trying to find new patients with the disease early, which you don't really want to do with prostate cancer, but 
that's another story. Um, or diagnosis, as in like how severe is the disease? What exactly subtype do they have? Or treatment, if the AI can say like, hey, you know, we trained on a thousand images who went through chemo and they didn't do very well. Maybe chemo is not the right choice. So that's sort of the, um, the way I, I would describe uh, it at a bird's eye view. Now, for the layman's men looking at that and listening to this, how has that benefited the, the community? How's that worked, you know, with these people who are going through? Do you have failure issues, you know, trying to figure out if the computer's messing up? Or are you, are you seeing, you know, the computer's doing a better job and we're seeing that doctors have to change the way they're being educated? Um, we don't have the answer to that because the industry is still so new that the FDA is taking a little while to accept a lot of medical devices that do this AI. So it's pretty much stayed in the academic world. And like GE and Philips and the big companies, they do some internal research and they put out little plugins here and there to their MRI machines, but really it hasn't exploded yet. So we don't actually know what the effects are going to be on the healthcare industry. Well, that's interesting. It's actually so early stage. It's in the like pre-commercialization, like ready to explode stage. Are you seeing any sort of pushback from the uh, the quote unquote traditionalists? Yeah, well, they try to frame the narrative in their heads as it's just like a doctor who saw a million images. I just don't have time to see as many as the computer can see. So a lot of like the cutting edge thinkers think like that. Some of them are like, I don't trust it. You know, like I'm not going to trust it. Like, sure, show me what you want to show me, but I know what I'm doing. I you know I went to med school. I'm an expert on this. Um, and then they might be correct, you know, maybe they can see things from a perspective that AI just machines can't, like it's just silicon chips making a prediction. Like, is it really as good as a wetware human brain? So what a lot of my clients try to do is pitch it as like, we're just going to show you some AI information. You do what you want with that. We're going to be very transparent with it. It's not going to be a black box robot, like HAL 9000, where you throw, we tell it what you have, where you show it an image of you and it spits out what you have right away. It's more like we're going to show you subtle features that you or maybe can interpret from medical school. We're going to kind of like ease you into this whole, you know, robot nurses taking over your practice world. Now, I'm wondering, is the medical industry, is that more or less accepting of the fact that this is the future? We are heading in a place where the computers are going to be involved heavily with seeing these things and helping with the diagnosis and whatnot. I think they all are. Doctors especially the ambitious ones tend to be forward thinkers. They were always on the, they're getting sold all the time by like reps for cool new medical devices and technology. And they pride themselves on being like sort of on the cutting edge with like, like with the practice and the um, like whatever's the cool new tool. So I think that they do to answer your question. I, I would think, yeah, I, I was leaning in that direction, but you know, you're, you're on the, the ground floor of it. So your input is obviously more, uh, you know, from experience, Supported. I guess. Supported. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, but it's more like the radiologists are really into it because they deal with images all day, although they're probably most most at risk of being, if anyway, like usurped. Yeah. <laughs> so there's an irony there. It's fun though. You help the raise oncologists, them up, you know? like they're pretty safe, but they don't, they don't, they're, the oncologists don't need AI to tell them what treatment regimen to give the patient. They're, I mean, you know, the forward thinkers are, but that's a smaller minority. Now you're talking forward thinkers and those who are looking to to get ahead and kind of see what's coming down. And you think about Wayne Gretzky. You know he was successful because he went to where the puck was going, not where the not puck where was. it is. Yep. Always With you, to where the puck's going. Yeah. A lot of your message, though, it seems like you're going where the puck is. You know, a lot of the things you're putting on Twitter, a lot of the things you share, it's it's like how can you use these things to get more from your life, more from your mindset? 
has that been a product of your work? You know, working with all of this AI, you're like, oh, this is how you can use social media instead of be used by it. Here's how you can use these systems uh, with waking up or going through your day or fitness. Um, I didn't think about whether I'm more present now and less future thinking than some other people. I think the more I'm like trying to enmesh myself and understand the systems, the more I think I tend to just like knowing what the cool things happening now is versus dreaming, you know, like when you're like younger, all you see is the dream of the future. And then as you get older and you be a little, become a little more pragmatic. So now I'm at that stage where like, I'm trying to make my business grow and make money. And so I'm trying to think of what are the ways I could use AI today to make some cool tools, whatever it is, whatever um, will help my business. So I think that practice just comes from like trying to be smart with business. Dreamers don't always make it successfully in business. No, <laughs> you know, but that's contrary to the message that's put out to many of them. And you've not taken that path though. You know, earlier you said you've got one foot on social media, sort of one foot in the, uh, the professional realm. Yet through both of those, it seems as though you've maintained you 100%. You know, you are you in the professional realm. You know, you're crushing it. In the social media realm, again, we, we were going back and forth. Both of us, I had the pen name, you're Anon, you know, and now you're, you're inching in that direction to coming on out. <laughs> but having mm-hmm. you, you know, maintain that voice, how were you able to continue to use social media instead of becoming one of those who were hooked into the system and then ultimately used by social media? I think it's because I didn't use it primarily to make money. It was more of a digital diary, a hobby, a side quest. It wasn't like my primary edge of the funnel that I was drawing a lot of money from. And I think you know you behave differently when it's just a fun little side project for yourself to share something with the world and nudge the direction of the narrative in what I think is a better way versus I'm a business man trying to make money on social media. I'm not saying those two are mutually exclusive either, but I think I started it as a digital diary and now I'm transitioning it more into monetizing it. So I might be promoting my own AI products on Deeper Thrill, um, stuff like that in the future. And like Keep Book Club is something, but you know, my primary income has always come from the professional world. And like just to maintain the genuineness between them, I think I just hate conformity so much. <laughs> I just value uniqueness above like almost all values, except maybe like high quality things like uniqueness is a top value for me. You know, and one of the the things I've promoted since the beginning is in the land of conformity, authenticity does reign king. You know, you, you do stand out when you're not a clone of everybody else that's out there saying their thing. But to a degree, you've got to put yourself in a position that's somewhat vulnerable. And we say, you know, society will say, you should be more vulnerable, but that's sort of opening yourself up for weakness, you know, and just kind of submitting. I'm not saying it in that term. It, you're putting yourself in a position where you are different, you stand out, and that could mean crash and burn as much as it could mean fly high and succeed. Mm-hmm. Did you factor that in when you were going into Deeper Thrill and getting this going? You're like, I'm going to be me regardless of how it's accepted. No, I think the authenticity came later. Like to me, like, I was just less nervous about being more authentic and genuine over time because I think, you know, when you're younger, at least when I was, I'm 33 now. And so when I was in my twenties, I sort of had a bit of like imposter syndrome was like, you worry if your inner core is like a gooey, melty, soft center. And as I get older, I don't really care anymore because I'm comfortable more with my inner core. So I'm just like, 
I don't have to, I'm not no longer having imposter syndrome that the core is like a soft, weak version of me that's like raw, like, you know, like that's just not, I, I used to think a lot more like that subconsciously. So I think that's what I've learned about authenticity going from anonymous to just showing my face. Do you think that's an age thing? Like a maturity thing? Yeah. Because I, I just dropped the pen name last year. I just turned 34. So we're roughly the same, similar age and we're kind of hitting the same stride. Is it a, mm-hmm. your mid thirties as a man is when you're like, fuck it. <laughs> you kind of just throw well, it out the window. I think there's a book like King warrior, magician lover or whatever. And like in your thirties is your knighthood phase. And so I think that's the natural trend of when you hit your thirties, you, you become more of a provider, more of a knight, more of a shining armor than like, I think they said forties is like the King phase. And then fifties is the wizard phase. I don't remember. It was a magician. It was, it was a popular book, but I think the thirties is the night phase for men. That's why. I wonder how many listening to this are either they're, they're fully out there, you know, real name, real face, whatever. And there are the guys who are the anon who are, they're content with where they're at. And there are those dudes in the middle that are going to hear this and kind of, it's going to solidify one way or the other with you. It works. So why, I mean, you share your face, but you're good. You can share your message. You can connect. We're having a conversation now. And yet, you know, it's, it's not your, it's deeper thrill. It's not your full name. And then other guys, they're going to be like, well, I'm just going to go all in and say, screw it. And with that comes an inherent risk. You know, we, we've seen it time and time again, you know, the wrong uh, politics can, can, you can lose a job, you know, that you might've worked years for, you know, you can have a, a reputation damaged. I had Mike Cernovich on the last podcast and he said, you know, when you start sharing your ideals and your politics and your beliefs and they don't align with the masses, you can get nuked. You know, and I wonder how much that weighs on you with all the work you've done and all the schooling. Does it ever still hang on you, even showing your face? You know, do you think there'll ever be a point you go all in? Yeah, well, no, I think I like to keep a little bit of separation. I think separation kind of defines the boundaries. I'm, I'm okay with a little bit of separation. Um, and, you know, throughout my life, as in any person, there's people who I'm sure don't like for whatever reason. Maybe I was a an asshole to them one time, you know, like, and I just, you know, this, this year with cancel culture and shit, like, that's just what you have to worry about. I'm sorry for cursing on the podcast. But. <laughs> no, it's totally um, good. You have listened to at least one episode. We're um, good. This is not PC. <laughs> yes. Yes, I know. So I just think that like, I can show that I'm not full of shit by showing my face and my body and my mannerisms and like sharing about my things, but I can also keep some, you know, risk aversion for my businesses and I can, I'm okay with both. I really like, I didn't even know if we had hit record when you said this, but we were speaking a little bit earlier and you had said, you know, people had to judge you on your thoughts before they could judge you on, on how you looked or anything else. And that by winning that you had sort of proved yourself. And then afterwards it's like, Oh, that's your face. But like, I don't really care about your face or that's your name. I don't really care about your name. It's your, it's your ideas that I want to connect with. It's, it's, and that's imp- crucially important, especially if you talk about self-improvement stuff. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like you talk about self-improvement, but you're not improved. Like you lose all credibility, right? And as you go through it, you know, especially with the key book club, you know, could you talk to how you and your team decide to break those down? Because you're not just improving yourselves; you're looking to help others. It seems like, from my point of view, correct me if I'm wrong, but accelerate their improvement as well, and just getting what they need and cutting out the fluff. I think that's, that's apt. Um, I mean, I started a key book club in 2016. It was just, I was reading so many books to try to be at a better AI medical CEO and like trying to be autodidactic and learn myself. And I'm like, well, hold on. 
I should be selling these notes. So I started a mailing list where, you know, I charged people five bucks a month and sent them PDFs of five summaries per month that I read. I started, um, I went to some meeting and I met Damon John from the, from the Shark Tank. And uh, some of the people at the meeting suggested to me that I go to internships.com and get free interns, like unpaid interns who get school credit for doing the reading for me. And so my whole goal with Key Book Club is delegation. I think that, you know, one of the books we said, we, we um, summarized, said an entrepreneur should not necessarily be a businessman. It should be a system builder for that system to build you passive income in your sleep so that you're free to do what you want with it. Now, it's like making the business itself self-sustaining. So by me gathering, you know, young interns who need to learn how to write better, and I'm good at writing because I practice on Twitter, and I used to have a blog, and I might go back to it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, then I took on a co-founder last year, and we built an app because we're like, the market wants an app. So we built an app. We advertised on Instagram mostly, so much better than Twitter, to be honest, to advertise. But <laughs> again, neither here nor there. Um, and so, you know, now we're probably going to try to raise money this year, maybe low seven figures for it, really scale the marketing side and uh, work with some firms. And, uh, you know, like we have a few hundred book summaries, we have a proof of concept, and uh, that's, you know, that's just accelerating. It's the, 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 the goal of it is to broaden your mind and accelerate your self-improvement because for every paragraph you read of my writing, our process makes the knowledge so condensed. We go through wordsmithing exercises together with my team to say, how do we have the same amount of knowledge and information with half as many words as it came in? So we made it assembly line process. We have one person read the book, take notes, another person rewrote those, rewrite those as paragraphs. Another person condenses it while keeping 6,000 words worth of information with 3,000 words worth of language just by phrasing things succinctly. You know, instead of saying the phrase, phrasing things in fewer words, you would just say, say you know, saying things briefly succinctly like we use shorter words to pack more information in so i know i just kind of went on a tangent there but that's no, sort no. of our process Tan with keep a club yeah tangents are good my only question is are people losing anything in that process you know and when i say process i chose that word intentionally in that the the process of learning or you know like making a cure a cup of keurig you put the pot in, you press the button you have coffee that's a little different than getting up, grinding the beans, putting them in the filter, filling the pot, pressing the button, filling the pot, putting it into your cup. You know, yeah, we're kind of the curators of knowledge in a so, way. And I'm wondering, is, are, is anything lost or are you just maximizing the efficiency of learning? I can see the argument on both sides of that. Um, one thing that's easily lost is the poetry and flow of the original author's mind when he wrote it or she wrote it. Um, so we're kind of like squeezing out all of that, trying to keep a little, you know, sophistication in the language but we're like here is going to give you two-thirds of the knowledge of the book in the 30 minutes it takes you to listen to our sexy british robot voice read the summary out loud to you <laughs> so yeah something's lost i mean you lose the author's flow you lose the supporting details but you know we're as much we're not a replacement for books we're a discovery mechanism for books so often when you pick up a book, you might get 100 pages into it until you decide if you want to read the remaining 200. Here, it's like the top level of the pyramid. Instead of going through a little bit of the bottom level and just reading 100 pages, we're giving you the meat at the top cornerstone of the pyramid, and you decide which books you want to read in full. That's how I look at it. You know, and as someone who's like, I, I feel like I blink and my days are gone. You know, I don't yeah. have the time I wish I had. And when I do want to just sit and read, I usually end up writing. You know, something like this, 
there are like I saw you had deep nutrition. That's a very mm-hmm. deep book. And I, I understand deep using deep twice doesn't make sense, but deep nutrition is a deep book. It's it a helps my dive. brand. Keep going, keep going. It helps my brand. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you keep going. It is it is showing that, you know, something like that. I would love for just the bullet points. Like just tell me the takeaways that I need to know. I don't need to know the the deep weeds of this. Yeah. But what again, are the four types of food? Meat on the bone, fermented food, no sugar, no vegetable oil, right? Those are like the four rules. And I know that because I don't, I've read the summary. But you have a solid squad. And I'm wondering, how are you ensuring that the intern is, is choosing the thing you would have chosen as well? Ultimately, you're the filter, I'd assume. You know, you're the, your name's on this. So I choose the books. Me and my co-founder, we choose the books. That's why we've done like Jack Donovan's books. We've done like 48 Laws of Power. We've done like dark psychology. We've done deep nutrition. We've done the big fat surprise, which is pro, you know, saturated fats in your diet. We've done the carnivore diet, which is the book that's just pretty much like eat meat and nothing else. So like we are the filter of the input to the system. And then I do writing exercises with the interns on a live Zoom chat like a few times a week. So I spend a few hours a week with writing exercises. So we together have a shared screen where we'll go through a paragraph. I'll say, this is how I would have rewritten this you go it's a it's an educational experience for the interns where i'm training them to write in the condensed way that i think provides the most value to my product while i'm the filter going into it and then by the time it reaches me i have an editor as well and she edits what the other team does so it's gone through multiple layers and i finally see the final product you know what i'm saying no that's very interesting it's cool to have so many eyes on it it again the delegation right you know, I was going to say, but so do you take the time to just sit and read anything any longer? Or is your brain always just scanning everything you read for how can I break this to smaller chunks? Um, I've changed what types of books I read. So like, like, like you can't like, I'll read like biographies or I'll read sanction myself or I'll read like sanction philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that like, summary, I'm not summarizing you, books you like cannot that, break right? that one down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So like I, and you know, I read those, I'll read like a philosophy book that maybe my interns aren't quite at that level to read, like some Nietzsche book. If I'm in the mood to read philosophy, I'll read like a book on AI because I'm personally interested in that. So like, it's just the books that are like how to spot the five signs of emotional intelligence. I don't need to read that myself. Yep. And as you go through, you know, there, there's an art to reading that I think could even be captured in the book club. And I think honestly, for those who, and we, I'll have a link below this uh, episode for anybody else to check it out. So please go down below, click on it and decide, you know, the, the level you want to subscribe at. But as you go through, you'll find as you're getting the, the snippets of these in the book club, I could see that leading to wanting to read other actual books. So it's, it's not stripping books away. Nobody's taking the books away. It's just these types of books. It, speeds of the process of getting through them. And then you can go and sit and read the one you want to just sit and read. Yeah. And it's also sort of like a self-discovery mechanism because if you just, let's say you spend two hours and you just get a splash of knowledge from like eight different topics that are completely, you know, there's nothing similar between them. You immediately kind of know what gaps in knowledge you have. You know, a book you want to read if you want to read, or you know that, Hey, you know, I don't need more than podcasts to learn something. These books aren't, doing anything for me. It kind of like self-selects for what type of person you are. It'll guide you whether you want to keep reading or not. Now, what about the people who they don't even know how to start? They don't even know when to begin. I want to read, but I I don't know how to start reading or I don't have the time. 
are you also, or is any of this happening through Audible of that nature? No, we have our own audio. Okay. So we're so, not, we're, I'm trying to build my own platform here. I'm like, so this is all self-contained. Okay. And I'm trying to make it more and more self-contained. Um, I see a lot of apps like drawing people away from other networks and building their own communities and their own networks. And, you know, that's one of the things I think about money Twitter. I don't think a lot of them like know how to build a platform and they should. They're trying to build one-off products and that's not a long-term thing here. So I'm trying to make Key Book Club mobile app like an alternative, like little social community. Oh, it's excellent. I mean, obviously I'm coming at this from, I've got the fraternity of excellence, you know, and I'm looking to build up two more communities. And when I hear the, like, again, the people saying, well, I don't have the time to read. I just use my audible app. Well, these aren't on audible and you might be comfortable with audible, but try something else out. You know, a lot of people, well, I don't want to go to the VFW and mm -hmm. Twitter sucks. Okay. I get you're comfortable with those, but check out FOE. We have, I know it's a new thing. I know this is weird and it's, it's a kind of a different concept, but it works. And I could see that working out very well for yourself. You know, with if people just kind of get over that fear of the unknown or that hesitation that comes with everybody's just trying to get money. Nobody's trying to provide the value. Like I, I, your content, again, it's consistent enough to where I know you're putting everything into this, but there is always going to be that, that little bump. You got to push these people over. What have you found to be the most uh, point of contention people have had with committing to it? Um, like exposure, like they don't really know what it is. Like I will talk about it on my Twitter, but they don't really like know how this will benefit them. I need to get better at the marketing side of explaining to people ways that they might want a book summary and that my books aren't like crap books. Like it's tough to like, the hurdle is like, convincing them that I have a well-curated set of books with well-written summaries and that they need to read more with, you know, the world moving, at least in social media, action, action, action. You don't need knowledge. It's that's a hurdle too to overcome because yes, you could just gain your experience and go your way through life. So it's like, if there's a lot of push for just action, no knowledge, that's also a hurdle for me to overcome. You know, I never thought about it that way in this podcast. I've said on almost every single episode, to not just listen to the knowledge exchange, like what we're doing now, but for the listener to apply it. You know, you have to apply, you've got to take action. It's always gone hand in hand with me. I never thought of the angle of, well, go do these things. Don't worry about why you're doing them or how to improve your understanding of what goes on and after you do the thing. Yeah, and I think it's like, like it's like studying how to climb a tree versus actually climbing a tree. So like the action is better. Climbing the tree is the engine turning. The analogy I like to think of it is like the book summaries and knowledge in general, like whether you're listening to a podcast to gain some knowledge or whatever mechanism you're using, Audible, Key Book Club, you know, Fraternity of Excellence, discussion boards, like whatever it is. It's like that's the that's like the oil that's keeping things running smoothly and not getting clamped up. If you just take action, you might have a miserable life. Knowledge kind of greases the wheels a little bit is how I see it. You don't need too much of it but you need the right amount of it at the right time in your life. Now, I wonder in your day-to-day -day life, have you structured everything to be automated? Because it, it seems coming from an AI system and the way you're seeing things and efficiency, are you one of those guys where everything is automated from the moment you wake up to the very end of the day? No, I, maybe ironically or not, but I'm sort of the opposite of that where I take a very <laughs> fluid approach to my day. 
Um, Interesting. One thing that I have been, one thing I pride myself in having seen a little bit ahead of the bend of the curve is remote working. So when I started my AI business in 2014, right after my PhD, I was like so insistent that I would not work in an office building that I could find people across the country to work with me. That I would choose the best talent based on skills and qualifications and not geographic location. And so, you know, I've been working remotely for, for so many years, so I don't automate my life, but I'm very good at like working on the go, working wherever I need to be. I have like a computer here in my New York city apartment. I have a laptop with my fiance in, in uh, Princeton. I have like, my phone has all the apps I can, I'm doing this on my phone. Like I am like communication ready at all times. That lets me take a fluid approach. Whereas most disciplined people take a structured approach of their day. And congratulations on the engagement. That's fantastic. Thank you. It's been like 10 days. So I'm still like digesting it. It's, it was, yeah, it rolled off the tongue. You said fiance, just like that was smooth. I've, I've been, I've been training myself. I've, I sometimes I slip and say girlfriend and she's like, I'm a fiance. You know? <laughs> that's, that's a step up, you know, that's yeah. awesome. A new title. You know, I was I was recently on a, a week-long family getaway. And during that time, we're up in the cabin in New Hampshire. And we I also launched Men of March. And I also, we opened the doors to FOE for signups. And being able to operate with my family, we're on a getaway, having a good time, every now and then be able to blast my work from my phone. To your point on having that fluidity and that ability to just operate wherever, there, there's truly something to be said for the strength of that. And how it, when you use technology correctly, it's you don't look at your phone and feel bad about keeping up with the Joneses. You grab your phone to do your job and put it away so you can spend time with those you love. You know, and there's a totally different approach to that. And I would love to hear, you know, how you found a way to not be consumed because you could technically be working 24/7. How do you unplug? How do you get away from the screens if you will? Um I take a lot of walks. I mean, it's the simplest thing, but like, I literally just take a lot of walks. Maybe I'll have music, but sometimes I'll go silent throughout the city or in the, you know, the suburbs or whatever. But like, I do like two to three hours of walking a day, unless it's like under 30 degrees out. Even if it's like 34 or 35 degrees, I'll walk two hours that day. So I do like, my day is very structured. Where like, I'll do like a long walk. And at the end of the walk, I can take a Zoom call while walking. I've done business while walking, but I usually have my walks as my alone time. And that's, that allows me to be fluid the rest of the day with meetings, et cetera. Have you ever had to have any talks with your interns about that? Because I feel like burnout, because we're always accessible, is going to happen more frequently. You can check your work emails all night long, all day long, your work phone all day long, your work all day long. You know, have any of your interns been reading the books and writing the notes and they're just like mentally fried? No. Because I take a very laid back approach with them because a lot of them are doing this for school credit and not money. I don't actually push them as hard as I would push like my coders who I pay people who write the code for the AI stuff. So like the interns, like I'm very relaxed. Like I'd rather get two more interns and have someone manage them than drill sergeant them so that they have to respond at midnight. If I have an idea for people club and I share it with the world. So I try to give them a lot of space as long as they perform every week. Now, what about, so if that's for Key Book Club, when it comes to the, yeah. the AI and the imaging. Very different. You, you, I was going to say, you say you work with, you know, you can go out and you can find remotely the best talent. Are you finding that the talent is getting younger as the, I'm going to say kids, but as these younger adults are coming in, they're used to working with 
uh, computers are used to working with code as opposed to older, you know, uh, potential clients or not clients, but employees who maybe th this is a foreign language to them working with artificial intelligence. So, yeah, so the younger ones pick it up faster. Um, but the benefit of the older ones, and this sounds so freaking cliche, but it's like the maturity of how you write code, like the younger people, they don't bother splitting things up into reusable functions. They don't bother building the Lego pieces now so that the next three projects benefit from the good code today. They're, they're much more up to date on the modern frameworks that you're supposed to use and all these modern tools and modern coding techniques, but they don't necessarily have good values compared to the older people, like over 30. Um, like in code, if what's the beauty of code is if you write a good piece of code, you could run it on 10 million servers and it'll run the exact same way every time. And so if you write good, clean code from the start and build a really strong foundation, your work is so much easier. Like I build a web app framework, now I can have my web app show an MRI image or a CT image or you know biopsy image. Like I, I wrote it once, it works for everything. The younger people, they're up on the modern frameworks, but they don't value this like reusable pieces of code. They don't value building a platform thinking long-term. They don't value commenting their code so that when they go back into the code, they remember what they did. So they don't have the right values compared to older people. That's interesting. It, it, it makes me wonder, you know, between the two businesses you're running, are you running two different cultures as well? Probably. I mean, I keep, I'm like I said before with like boundaries, I'm okay with that segmentation of Key Book Club is like my fun business to consumer product with exciting marketing that we're going to do behind it with like a laid back intern team. My code is like, I know how to do this properly because that's just what I happen to be very naturally good at. And I've trained myself. I hit my 10,000 hours or whatever. We're going to do this right. And we're getting like contracts in like the five figure range and people in the professional world who are putting part of their budget into my company, they expect something that I don't have to worry about with trying to hit whether a thousand customers or a million customers in Keep Book Club. Like that's a very like, there's a lot of little people I have to sell to. Whereas, you know, my AI business, it's like they need their stuff working right. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to gain another contract with them for another $30,000 if the code doesn't work. It's, it plays so well to the entire discussion though. You have a foot on each side, <laughs> you know, the, the duality of who you are as a man is it's interesting to see the balance there and that's needed. The well, you know, my, efficiently. my, my, I mean, my original avatar before I broke an anonymity for like six years was just the yin yang. Right. So yeah. I try to live it. Makes sense. <laughs> it's, you know, to our discussion earlier on a non having the stigma, you know, they think you're all just, it's all neckbeard fake stuff. You know, if you're a non, you know, you're not achieved, you've achieved nothing. You're building up this fake thing online. And again, with you, it's, you're, you're more interesting in person. You know, it's, it's the coolest thing, which is a good thing. You know, I'm always saying be cooler in real life than you are online. You but, do say that. <laughs> yeah, and you're living it, man. It's, it's a testament, you know, to who you are as an individual. And I, that's why I'm really glad we got to have this talk. But I'm wondering, you know, how many others, they're, they're building something online that's not conducive to the, the best development of self in the real world as well. And how we can ensure that, we get people back to living good lives, you know, and, and doing things in their lives and not just projecting a like well lived online. That's always my fear, you know, and it's not that you're doing it, but I could see a lot of people who fall into that window of, well, you don't know who I am. So I could be a Navy SEAL astronaut. Yeah. I, um, I think they're just, it's going to be harder and harder to gain credibility without showing some receipts. 
I just think that's the trend. Like people are going to demand receipts um, if you talk a big game online, right? But how do you? So your question is like, how do you avoid just like seeking external validation? Is that sort of what you're saying? Yeah. You know, people want success. You're you're talking about running two businesses, you know. And if people go on your Twitter right now and they read some of your life lessons and just some of your perspectives, like, all right, here's a good thinker. But you're doing more than just thinking. You know, you're you're living this out. These are these are more experiences than they are random shower thoughts that you're you're mm-hmm. sharing with the world. And I'm wondering how the message could be pushed to live the life before you start trying to share the life. You know, and <laughs> it's it's not it's more even possibly a rhetorical question to be honest. We're just thinking out loud here. It's it's cool that you're doing this, and I wonder how many people wish they were doing what you're doing or the way you're doing it at least, balancing those two worlds. I think you have to value the substance as much as the sales. Like sales, you want to paint a really beautiful picture and vivid picture in someone's head, but the substance has to also, like you have to value that too, I think. Like you have to value both. I think people don't value the substance as much as they could have. That might be a way to encourage that. So when you look at, or when people hear artificial intelligence, or they, they think of using computers for medical purposes, many are going to go immediately to Terminator. <laughs> and you're talking about the code and, and the way you can run it in the systems, the way they can see things that they can pitch to doctors for the use. You know, Where do you see the future of your work going with regards to the technology that's coming out and what it is you're doing and how you're going to use it? Um, one thing that I think I might sort of convert my Twitter account, at least a part of it, into doing is a more consumer-facing AI product. I see AI more as like electricity than Terminator. Like AI is going to be the underlying thing that like, you know, SAAS Wizard just came out with like an AI tool that'll create Instagram copy for you or something. Like people are going to start using it as like a utility. Like, oh, you need a chatbot? You use the chatbot service, you train it a little bit, but it'll just work. It's kind of like you plug into the outlet on the wall you plug into the AI system that does the piece of what you want to do, not like an all power. Maybe Google has an all powerful AI. I don't know, right? I'm not privy to their confidential information, yes. but so far I'm seeing it as like, yeah, um, <laughs> I'm seeing it as like a, a a utility, like a paid utility, like a service, like AI as a service in a way. And what I'm going to thinking of doing is using AI to auto filter images. So like. I think I might consider a consumer product and pitch it on Twitter and Instagram where you upload an image and the AI learns what's going to make it more vibrant for people to like it. It can learn which, you know, level of surrealness in the image makes it gets it more likes like an auto filter machine where instead of choosing one of seven filters, you click it and the AI does it. So that's just like one example I'm throwing around of like a consumer facing AI product where it's like, the intelligence is not like to make a robot. The intelligence is to intelligently play with the colors to make it more appealing. Now, the downside of that is it can make reality more dim and it's more fake, shallowness, but I think at some point you have to make profit. I was just thinking that, you know, <laughs> that sounds awesome. But when you can see the perfect photo and the perfect shot, the perfect, you know, everything, and it goes out to the world and you get so much engagement and then you look at your, your around your shed, like I'm doing now, you look around your, your apartment, you're like, ah, it's all right. You know, I, will that inspire people to make the world a little cleaner and more vibrant or no? Will it make people depressed? That's a great question. You know, and how will people, you know, the way I see it, or I guess the way I saw it, you know, Corona kind of threw a wrench in these 
visions that I had. <laughs> the way I saw it prior to COVID is that we were heading towards a rebellion from social media to where we're going back to not having social media made you a revolutionary, going to church made you revolutionary, being jacked. That that's how you stuck it to the man nowadays, starting a family. You know, it's like going back to an electronic farmer's market where people wanted to support real people that were pushing messages that weren't just here's my ass, you know, on Instagram, you know, or something like that. You know, in COVID, like I said, that huge wrench, you know, things have gone sideways and we've been distracted. But I could see there being a pushback from all all electronic filters of any sort, you know, where people are like, no, I'm going to the next wave of generation that are going to rise up. They're going to rise away from Facebook and all these things. Or maybe I'm just totally missing the mark. And that's a hope. (laughs) No, I think, in my opinion, things are going to become more segmented. I think the Internet's helping cluster people based on ideologies and mentalities more than geography. So, like, you're going to naturally gravitate towards people maybe that say that shirk the filters and they want a more raw experience of reality but then there's going to be like other like meta organisms or groups of people that are having their own echo chamber that are like maybe it's like the instagram uh only fans group and maybe you know <laughs> they want to buy these filters and maybe that's how the money flows away from them you know like th- there's going to be like islands of mentalities i feel online and so you're finding you know your own tribe with your mentalities of screw these filters. Like, I want to see you raw. I want to shake your hand in person. I want that like real life experience. I want to look around my shed and see a little dust. And then there's the people who are like, I need to shine an artistic light onto my soul and express it in the most beautiful artistic way in my face. And maybe that's not my true face, but maybe it is, you know, maybe I'm a divine goddess, you know, like there's people like that mentality that are going to cluster and build their own echo chambers. That's how I see that. No, I like that. You know, that's an interesting look at it. I, I, speak frequently on tribes for obvious reasons. You know, I didn't think of, I know that proximity has been pretty much eliminated to friendships. You know, you can have discussions and make great acquaintances with people across the globe without back in the day. It's who is local to you. You know, who is down the street, remote work. So with that, you know, but I didn't think of it in that context to where people's likes and people's desires would be their tribe. You know, I always put it on like ideals and goals and missions and focuses but not so much on aesthetics and appreciation. Style, you know, like, you know, there's the whole group of like your environment around you matters. So I want a stylish environment. Like I want the, you know, brick wall, exposed brick in my New York city apartment. You want, you know, your American flag behind you, the family alpha, like you built your environment. And so it's like by creating a different aesthetic online, you sort of create your virtual environment that you're constantly exposed to. So it's like bring yourself positivity by showing a vibrant, future maybe we'll nudge things towards that way have you seen men in black the original one of course okay i thought i just i had to ask i'm 33 years old of course i saw men in black (laughs) you know how at the very end like uh the cat's collar is like the universe and they or Mm -hmm. the the alien is playing with a marble Mm -hmm. it trips me out to think about you know we have people like like i said i was talking to cernovich i was talking to zuby before that those dudes combined have like four or five hundred thousand followers just on twitter and there are people on Twitter who've never heard of them. There's like a whole separate marble, a whole separate bubble of people experiencing Twitter that have no idea what the fuck it is we're talking about. They've never crossed so paths like, with any of us. You know, Benjamin George on Twitter, he used to post these like network graphs that Twitter research came out with, which showed you just how small your little corner is in this giant web of 
social media with feelings across them. So it's just like, you know, in your echo chamber, y'all think you're hot shit. Not you specifically, but the general you think you're hot shit. (laughs) Well, sometimes you are. (laughs) Um, But like, that's the echo chamber, right? That's the self-important bubble. And then other people, maybe, you know, people are really into like home uh, redesign. And there's maybe a whole community about like, you know, fix your internal house and like sell makeup bags. You know, there's a whole world of people who are also connected online and they're sharing smart ideas. Now there's these bubbles forming. Anyway, I, I sound like philosophical and like a weirdo when I say that and I recognize that, but it's just like, I'm trying, when I bring it back to reality, it's like, how do you build a business off this? You find what resonates with your tribe and you recognize what doesn't resonate with other people too. So that's how I would ground some weird, you know, philosophical thought like that. No, I think that's excellent. You know, I, I really, I like that angle. You know, my, my wife has like three different food allergies. She's allergic to eggs, wheat, and dairy. And she was talking to me about following these people who are super famous on Instagram, whatever. I'm like, I've never heard of these people mm-hmm. because I'm personally not in the food allergies bubble. But for her, there's a whole crew. There's a whole ecosystem of, of a hierarchy of who's popular, who's not. And that sort of is now coming full circle to coming out to this discussion. You know, it really blew my mind there. And it makes me wonder too, you know, I think that's a great way to keep yourself uh, humble, like keep yourself somewhat grounded. Is like, look, in the grand scheme, you're a speck of dust. Even if you live to 100, you, you're, a, you're a pinpoint on the timeline of human existence. But at the same time, in that pinpoint, in that timeline, you can make an impact on people. And maybe they go out and make an impact. And it's not about maximizing your reach in all these different circles. It's about doing the best with what you have. With and with who you have. And it seems also that that's what you're doing with the key book club. You know, like here is the best you can get from this book. It's not the whole book. It's not everything, but just like the tribes, you're not talking to all Twitter, but you're making an impact with what matters in the circle that you're in. Yeah. I, I, um, I wrote a tweet the other day that was like, I'd rather deeply impact like five people than reach 5 million or something. I, you know, it sounds cheesy. It sounds cliche. It sounds like a platitude that we all hate on Twitter, but it's true that like I would rather like connect with you on a video chat and really be able to riff off each other than kind of like like shallowly reach a lot of people. That's sort of what I keep Instagram for. Like that's where that's that's where I market my stuff. Like I don't get emotionally attached to the people I meet on Instagram, but Twitter is sort of what I would like to use as like networking. You know? Like so, I keep those separate as well. Yeah, I get a lot of well, how could you use Twitter? Twitter sucks. I'm like, Twitter is amazing. Twitter has connected yeah. me to like some incredible, if, if Twitter makes you angry, you're not using Twitter, right? Like you're just an angry person <laughs> who's looking <laughs> for things to be mad about. Cause I've had like, like this discussion happening right now started via Twitter. You know, that's where we cross paths. So it, it's how you use it, you know, and some people use it the wrong reason. <laughs> <laughs> that's wisdom that you've learned from experience. I can tell. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> When it goes to, but to the point on the two businesses that you're running and to the the message that you're putting into the world, you know, how have you found, you know, your, your life changing since using the social media, since going out and, and having it be a tool to connect with others and you yourself just saying, you know, I'd rather impact, I'd rather connect, you know, how have you found that to benefit you be it business or personal? Um. Personal has been a nice outlet for my thoughts and clarified my own thinking. That's just the writing aspect. And that happened when I was anonymous, you know, so it's just clarifying that practice writing, I think is always good. And 
practice like how do you share thoughts with strangers is a good thing. So that's how it's benefited me from more personal stand. But in terms of connecting, like the best benefits have been when I meet up with people in person. So like I have a bunch of people coming to like a dinner in New York City on uh, Friday night. We're going to discuss my um, my business ideas about how to use AI for consumer goods. People, you know, very smart people coming. All I met from Twitter. So like the best and like when I, I went to like a retreat in the mountains and I met, uh, you know, Man Integrated and uh, a bunch of other people like Garrett Daly and all them. So like I, you know, meeting people in person has been the most impact because we've all it's not really friends it's kind of like business part half business partners half friends we all want to make money together but we all get along with each other so i think that's how it's benefited me the most when i meet people in person so i remember that and i didn't like i think somebody had like an emoji over their face or something but i remember seeing you guys and i was like man that looks awesome (laughs) like that that is where it's at and again we're sitting here you can see my mannerisms you can hear my tone i can see the same with you it's as close as you can get but nothing will ever replace shaking a hand, eye contact, sitting down, having a meal or a drink, whatever. You know, that's where true energy is exchanged. And I, I wish more people would see that social media could be a segue to that. You know, in the age of unlimited connection, people are more isolated than ever. Well, and, you know, a lot of people on Twitter just make money just to make money. But I think you want to think of why you're making money. If you want to make money to show off, that's one that's fine for you. But like, if you use, if you want to make money so that it's a drop in the bucket to pick up and fly to meet someone, so that if you go to a nice dinner, a fancy dinner, and you take care of the check, it doesn't make a drop in the bucket. Like, why do you want to make money? And I think the freedom of like being able to like travel and meet people on a whim, where you don't think there's this you know six hundred dollar ticket break the bank. I think that's one of at least my motivations. I want to be able to do that. My ambition stems from being able to pick up and say, let's go visit, you know, Zach for a weekend if, if he invites me to something. You know, like I think that's like, and that's like the benefit of also working remotely. Like if you take advantage of like, why do you want to work remotely and why do you want to make money working remotely? It's so that you can connect in person. There's like an irony there. That's, that's wild when you think about it. You know, I, again, it's money similar to social media. It's a tool to be used, you know, mm-hmm. like people put so much power on it and it's, it's just money. Like there yeah. were times like you want to be able to fly, fly to meet someone that's real value. That's something tangible, right? Yeah. That's a tool being used to improve your life. And just like mm-hmm. social media, you can use it to connect. You can use it to improve your life. At no point should it be a detriment. At no point should you grab your phone and be like, oh, I feel worse about myself because I, I saw my, my cousin or my neighbors or whoever, whoever on a, a boat somewhere and I'm jealous that they get to go on vacation and I can't like, that's not, you're not using social media. Like it's be happy for other people, but build yourself up. And it's like when you build up like the FOE and you get more members and you create more connections and you make more revenue with it as well, that gets fueled back into it. So that the revenue you make from, you know, what you're passionate about that money you make, why, you know, what Nietzsche said, if you have a why, you can bear any house. So why are you, you know, raising money or getting more revenue or more members of some you know, cluster of people so that you can build the system itself and put money into the system and make it a real, you know, much more beneficial thing. It's like a good reason for why to make money is to create. Yeah, absolutely. It's like self-perpetuating. Like the process yeah. is the fuel. Doing the work, which expends the energy, actually creates the fuel. 
to keep going, to do more work, to get more energy, you know, and in there, make more money, make more connections, create more art. You know, it's, it's all, but it all stems from how you put it into motion, you know, and that, you know, to bring it full circle, you know, it all stems back to how you are living authentically. You're not, you're not chasing some fake ideal or some fake vision as to what success is. You're just living your life on your terms, the way you want it to be lived. And then from there, it's, it's easy, you know, and like on your own you, reality bubble. Hmm? I said, like, focus on your own reality bubble. Yeah. You know, like if you're the marble, you know, you don't worry. You're not trying to be like that marble that, over there, like build yours, do you in, in as authentic a manner as you can. I know the word's been bastardized. And every time it comes off, I it's like you're saying, bastardizing it. you know, like every time, <laughs> every time I use it, I'm like, oh, what's the right way to, it's like the most genuine sense of self and the most genuine life you want to live, not you've been told to live, not other people will approve of, but the life you want, pursue that. Yeah. And don't, don't uh, normalize the word authenticity. Yeah, don't, <laughs> wait, wait, wait till there's a meme, normalize authenticity next. <laughs> We're gonna have, I'll get like Adam Lane Smith on me about like copy. I'm going to use the word authentic six times in a paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's an appropriate word, right? It's, it's the word that it's like, stop caring, like put like in a way a barrier, but like stop caring what the rest of the world does. Do your best little reality bubble the best you can. It sounds so freaking corny and cliche when I say that last. So I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> that goes back to your point in the platitude. I'm like, dude, half the, the time I write you, a, right? I, half the time I write a platitude, I'm like, I didn't even mean to write like that. <laughs> That's oh, just man. the best way to say it. And I know you're going to talk shit, but it's the point still stands. You know, I'm not wrong. I'm just cheesy. Uh, we'll, we'll call it Zach. We'll call it Zach's rule. Like all personal brands trend towards pol- uh, platitudes over time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm going to blame that on Ed Lattimore. He's the king. <laughs> Oh, but it's cool, man. And it's, it, I think people, they'll see you interacting with others or even in this discussion, they'll hear it. Oh, these guys have known each other forever. This is the first time we've ever zoomed, mm-hmm. you know, but it's one of those things where when you're, I'm not, I'm not going to say authentic, when you're genuine with yourself, you form that connection. So when you speak, there's not, there's no lies to keep up with. There's no fluff that you've got to dance through. It's like, no, you're, you are who you said you were. I am who I said I am. It clicked there. So it'll click here. People who online, they create that that image of who they are, and then they meet somebody face. They can't they can't uphold it because there's there's too much to remember. Fuck! I had said I did this, and I said I was that, and I I have all these experiences and all these moments, but none of them were real. And when you show up in person or have a conversation like this, they would crumble because they're like, "Holy crap! I got too many things to remember about who I am. I don't remember who I am anymore." A lot of uh, energy spent on keeping up the mask. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I call it being the clown. You know, you're always painting makeup on. Like you got to wipe the makeup off. Don't try to be the person you think others will like. Be who you are. And regardless so, of whether they approve or not. For me, at least, you know, I, I'm one of like the few, I think people, not few anymore, but talking about meditation on Twitter and like meditation and like presence go hand in hand. So like when I'm here talking to you, I'm like hyper aware of like how the plastic water bottle feels on my hand. I'm feeling like, you know, what my energy levels are. I'm like paying attention to what you're saying. I'm like, I'm, I try to be very present. And I think that helps with the genuineness because it's like, I'm like, in a way, a weird feedback loop. loop. Like I'm hyper aware of my own like words as I say them. And I'm hyper aware of what you're saying. But I think staying grounded to the present moment of what is going on now, focus on the next quarter mile, the next tree, run to the next tree. Don't worry about the 10 miles remaining in the marathon. Like focus on this 
situation and, and feel like the water as I drink it, you know, like it sounds woo woo, but it's, it's important or it helps you become more authentic. In that though, I think is a discussion that not many people have. And when I do a podcast, I can tell whether the person is listening to me or if they're waiting for their turn to talk, you know, and it's a totally different thing. You know, if you're just waiting to talk, you'll say something that has nothing to do with what I just said to you because you had already written in your head. And that sort of robs the organic nature of the discussion. You know, people don't know this, but when we started, I told you, let's just riff. We'll see where the conversation takes us. That's something I've been doing somewhat recently with people and the results have been fantastic. I've had a lot of people reaching out like, oh man, you're like really finding your groove. Well, I'm not interrogating any longer. Now I'm just saying, hey, what's up, man? And then bam, I'm going to listen to you and we're going to talk. And if you say something interesting, I'm going to ask about it. I have no agenda. And I had the two key points. Obviously, I wanted to talk AI. I wanted to talk the key book club. But outside of that, there are zero bullet points on my notes right now. It's just, let's just talk and let's see where we go. And few allow themselves to, to share that just free form of self. It's always an agenda or something to be pushed. Yeah, I think I think of like Joe Rogan and like the long form content where it's comparative to the news where everyone's shouting on top of each other. And that's where people are trained to communicate these days who watch the news to constantly interrupt and try to one up each other. And then you look at like a Joe Rogan podcast or like your family alpha podcast and like you're kind of actually active listening. You know, most people don't active listening. Like you said, they have their pre-written script of the next thing they're going to say. And they frantically need to just get it out there. Like they have no, like, listen to what you're saying. And like, let's see where the conversation goes. And like, that's one thing I try to actively do in my meetings is active listening. Like I'll put my subcontractor in with my client and I will shut up and I will let them talk and they go slowly. And I think it's like in a world of information overload, people forgot the value of going slowly. Everyone's on three X speed on their podcasts. No one's like, try to be more intelligent instead of more, efficient productive like let's listen to everything on 3x let's interrupt each other let's like frantically like like go 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 with the world which is good but like when you slow down and listen to each other you can get more intelligence out of the conversation and really create more value i told my son the other day he's a he's a fast reader i'm a slow reader and he had asked me he's like you know i'm reading moby dick he's like why does it take you so long to read that like he, he blew through all the harry potters in like a weekend he just sat there and read and read and read and I'm like, my one book flipping page by page. And he's like, why does it take you so long? And I was like, the way I see it, words are like batteries, you know, and for me to absorb all the energy from each of those words, I got to take my time. It takes a little longer for it to like go from the word to my head. So I go slower. It's probably a skill I could train, but that's just, I'm comfortable with my rate of reading. <laughs> but it was interesting to me to hear him and to hear what you just said about the exchange of intelligence, you know the words stick with me because I took the time to, to read each of the words as opposed to some the people who see the page and they kind of scan it and absorb it as opposed to just the bouncing ball in each of the words. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, when you were talking, my pre-scripted mind said, all right, this is what I need to say next. Now you're making me hyper aware of this. <laughs> but <laughs> really, I was like this thinking, is 40-level chess here, 40 right? conversation. <laughs> um, well, I'll just say it anyway. But what I was thinking was um, – that's something that the younger generation, it goes back to my comment about their coding style. They want to rush and get the code out there and rapidly prototype. I think it's like the older generation and we're sort of in the big brother generation to a lot of these like mid twenties, young twenties, 
people, they need to learn the value of not jackrabbiting their ways of life. And I think that's like on like the older maturity, but then you become like the old mature guy who just speaks so slowly that nothing comes out. Right. <laughs> then there's too far as well. <laughs> no, that was probably the biggest like point of contention when I was, I was stationed in North Carolina and in the South, man, they they're so slow <laughs> like and i don't say that offensively let's go, it's just let's go, let's go. yeah they're cold. like my brain is just like flying so i i don't even that's a regional thing though more so than age but then you throw the age on top of it a young man from the northeast you Boston. drop him into Boston like is what you wanted to say yeah i was thinking it. <laughs> but, but we'll lump them all together <laughs> you drop them in south carolina they're gonna go bananas <laughs> you know their brain is gonna be flying because they're used to that tempo and I just wonder how much of that plays into this, this same discussion in that the cultural norms in certain spots are to sit and listen. And it has nothing to do with anything outside of that's how they were raised. You know, and it's less biological and more uh, nurture. Less innate. Yeah. So I think, you know, if you're going to go slowly, you better bring something else to the table. <laughs> like intelligence, <laughs> like wisdom. Like if you're going to go slowly, make what you say worth it. Don't just speak slowly and dumb. Right. That's the. <laughs> I think that's the quote of the podcast. Don't speak slow and dumb. <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna speak slowly, bring something else to the table. <laughs> oh, I dig it. Like actually listen to what the person said before to respond. Like if you take your time and listen to them, that's different than taking your time because you just don't know how to think a little. You know, with the pace of everything, you know, it seems like we're losing time. Like I, I, it might have been you. I don't remember who it was, but somebody said there wasn't a Wednesday this week. And I literally, do you? I don't know if you saw that. I was like, wait a minute, was there a Wednesday? Like, because it was. I'm like, how is it already Friday? Wait a minute, <laughs> like, dude, I had a real moment of like, what what happened to my days of the week? Well, well, one thing I've been doing for the past month, and I'll show you, is every day I write down the top three things I did that day keeps me accountable and makes me realize what I, you know, am I actually making progress or am I just, are the days blending into one another? That's a good way to go about it. Cause you would know there was a Wednesday cause you did those three things. And I also get to know, like, if something's taking too much of my time because I notice that every day I'm writing about it and I'm like, this shouldn't be a priority. It, yeah. it, it helps uproot things like that. I, I'm a big fan of journaling. I've tried, and this is probably a personality issue quirk or whatever. But I keep just drop again, same thing with reading. I don't read as much as I want to because I write. I don't sit and journal as much as I want to because even though it, that's writing, in my head, that's not writing. I want to go and like write a blog post. Or I want to write in a book. I want to write about something, an email, less capturing my thoughts, even though I do see the power in being able to, not just for myself, review what was in my head, but also, you know, later on down the line, hand it to the kids. Here's what I was thinking when I was 34. Here's what I was thinking before I, I took this major leap and started this business or did that thing. You know, here's where my mindset was so they could see and kind of get a glimpse into who their father was. And, you know, in that vein, what a lot of people have recommended to me and I'm going to start doing is using Rome research. So I've heard that their mind map software is incredible and it's so easy for you to hyperlink your thoughts to one another. And it's like creating like a cult following around it so it's like halfway between writing a blog post and writing a private journal it's like whiteboarding it plus blog post plus journal uh rome research r-o-a-m yep so i've heard great things about it it's like if you go on youtube and just do a quick search you'll see like the cult following it has just because it's very effective and that you know 
that would be my, you know, what I'm going to focus on learning next is instead of journaling, instead of blogging, instead of whiteboarding, use this one tool and make this my one-stop shop. Because if I have too many things to do, like if I have to journal every day and I have to do this every day and this, I can't like focus. I think it's like, if this is a one-stop shop for that value in my life, I can get steps in it. And I think that plays well with your angle on uh, the key book club. You know, you can get what you need and go for me like that, that might be beneficial. And this again, to play to something else, you know, the different bubbles that we're living in the different marbles, there's a whole cult for that yet. I've never heard of it. You know, like <laughs> it, it trips me out when there's a whole huge movement. I'm like, I didn't even know you existed. And then I wonder how many people see it with us. There are people out there who are like, Oh, I wish families, you know, were better. I wish there are people talking about family issues and how to be a better man in the family. I'm like, dude, that's literally, I've been doing it for five years. <laughs> Have you not crossed paths? But for whatever reason, our, our marbles never hit each other. Those wires never crossed. I think that's one thing AI is going to be used for. We were, you were asking about the future of AI, yeah. connecting people who you would vibe with. That'd be cool. And that's, I think when you were talking about the different uh, tribes, the people who like the Instagram and filters, the people who don't, the people who want to meet in person, the people who like farming, you know? If it has a way to connect like that, I could see that being incredibly beneficial. And I, I wouldn't even be surprised if that's not already happening, at least at that level, like inside the Twitter headquarters or Facebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, that would make sense to connect people to stay longer. Yeah, these companies benefit from echo chambers, which could yeah. be good or bad. <laughs> yeah, depending on what that echo is saying. Mm-hmm. All right. That's why people are scared of the like fake news and like conspiracy theorists because they know the power of echo chambers. Dude, honestly, I don't even know which news is real anymore. I shared right. something and I'm like, it looked super legit. I don't remember what it was. As <laughs> soon as I posted it, they're like, you know, that's not real, right? I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, no, I didn't. Why would I ever share it if I knew it was fake? <laughs> All right. This has been a solid discussion. For people that want to reach out, they want to join the Key Book Club or check out the membership levels. They want to pick your brain a little bit more. What is the best way they can find you? Find To find Key Book Club, it's keybookclub.com. That's K-I-bookclub.com. Or if you just go into the app stores, Apple or Google, search for K-I space book space club. Um, you'll see our app pop up. To reach me, um, Deeper Thrill is my handle on Twitter. Um, that's pretty much it. And I guess closing thoughts, you know, you're, you're one foot in the professional world. You're one foot in active social media world, yet you're balancing it. You know, you have a fiance, you have a normal life, a normal job, but you're also building up a business completely separate from that. What advice do you have for others who are either looking to do the same or looking to figure out how to balance their worlds? Um, try not to get swept up in the trends of either world. There's a lot of stuff happening on Twitter where you're going to, you know, want to think a certain way, fight against that. In the professional world, there's a way you have to be way more bureaucratic than my soul could ever take, fight against that. So think for yourself, and then you'll find the ways you connect to the different worlds. Um, I think people like young people, especially who listen to this podcast should realize that like, you can make your mark without being aggressive. You can, you know, stop listening to everyone, even if they're like the big brother role models for you. Just stop listening 
to them if it goes against your instinct, but then explore that instinct if you disagree with someone. Don't just react emotionally to that. Like, figure out why you don't vibe with the solar punk aesthetic. Figure out why you don't vibe with the seeing the dusty tools in your family alpha garage that you're looking at. You know, figure out why you do or don't vibe with certain people. And I think that'll help you connect with everyone. Oh, that's awesome. It, again, to, to connect with others, you have to know who you are. You've got to know what yeah. your piece is, what your shape is, and how to connect. And you can't do that if you don't work on the self. And that's that's been a yeah. running theme for like probably the past five episodes that, that keeps coming back up. And I'm going to keep stressing. And it's like if, if I have a conversation with someone who's an engineer, I'm going to go into the unsupervised learning of modern deep learning techniques. Like I'm not going to talk about that with you. It's like know your audience too and make sure that you guys find the common threads to discuss. I think is like a really good communication skill. And also like being genuine doesn't mean you have a soft gooey sensor. I just want to reiterate that. Like you peel back the layers and you don't be scared of being vulnerable and imposter syndrome. Just get over that shit. Just like make your core with training, like meditation, reading, exercise, like living in nature, like, you know, building solid relationships, you know, learning about business or whatever money, like do that. And then your core is not a mushy core that you're scared of sharing with the world. And that's not just words. You lived it. You did this. You know, you, you've gone on this journey. And again, that goes to the point on sharing experiences. You know, you're not hearing that from a man who's saying, this is what you should do. I don't, I've not done it. It's somebody who's lived it, learned it, and is now sharing the lesson learned to help you avoid falling into any pothole that you'll have to climb out of. Deeper thrill. I want to thank uh, you for your time. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, man. This was good. Take care. All right. For everybody that tuned in, this has been another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. And please remember, nothing will change in your life if you do not apply the information. I've got links to Deeper Thrill on social media, as well as the Keybook Club below. Check those things out. And again, take care, apply the knowledge. Another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can join our private men's-only community at thefraternityofexcellence.com. And don't forget to find Zach on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at ZachSmall underscore.